0: Let's begin with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace toward us in in inviting us into your presence to worship you, uh, to do so privately and in families and in the great assembly of your congregation. We pray that you would teach us at this time that we might know how to worship you in a way that is acceptable to you, that you would teach us the truths of your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Today we come to chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and if you're looking at that in the hymnal, that's page 860 of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. It's a pretty long chapter, so we're not going to cover all of it today. Uh, We'll see if we're even able to cover all that I plan to cover today, uh, which would be the first six articles. Uh, I'll go ahead and begin with Article 1. The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is good... And doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served, with all the heart, and with all the soul, and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, and so limited by his own revealed will, that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men, or the suggestions of Satan, under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. This article, this uh, paragraph, begins by discussing kind of how do we know how to worship God, similar to the way the confession of faith as a whole begins. It begins first with a chapter on Holy Scripture and then a chapter on God. Similarly here, we're going to look at... Uh, how do we know how to worship God? Uh, revelation. And then the next article or two will be on who do we worship? You know, the, the triune God. The light of nature refers to natural revelation. We learn some things from uh, natural revelation through the order of creation, through the use of, of reason that God has given us. And that testifies to all people everywhere that God exists, that God is uh, righteous, that God is good, uh, and that therefore we, that he deserves our service and worship. Uh, So we ought to worship him, uh, the true God and creator. Uh, That is revealed in uh, nature to all people, holding all people to account. Uh, Romans 1 speaks of his existence and his invisible attributes being plain to all through the things that are seen, holding all men accountable to do that, to worship the creator, not the creature, which is the reverse of what sinful man does. Um, Psalm 19 speaks of uh, how the heavens declare the glory of God. There is the goodness of God shown to all people. We might see in Psalm 104 how he has provided the earth with many good things, that even though man's sin deserves immediate uh, total judgment, that he is kind. He gives rich things to us, not only things needful for us, but even good and enjoyable to us. Uh, his mercy is over all that he has made, as the Psalms declare. Uh, so he has lordship over all, and he does good unto all, and therefore is to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted, and served with all of our being. But how shall we worship The true God. What worship pleases him, Uh, especially since the fall? A man has fallen off into idolatry and superstition and uh, invented all sorts of ways of his own devising to worship God. Um, God himself is the one, though, who has instituted the acceptable way of worshiping him. Worship is for God, it is to please God, that is the intent, so we don't get to make up what pleases God. We should not presume to think of uh, what his worship consists in. Worship is for God, and it's not for us to determine what pleases him. So acceptable worship is limited by his own revealed will. This chapter uh, then uh, speaks of what we would call the regulative principle of worship that uh, worship is limited by his revealed will, particularly through Holy Scripture, which as we saw in the first chapter uh, is, is sufficient and contains that uh, whole counsel of God, the rule of faith and life, and is uh, all, all that God desires of us in worship is taught in Scripture. So not only should we not do things that are forbidden, but we should uh, only do those things in worship which his word teaches us is pleasing to God, Uh, only what scripture prescribes. Uh, As it says here, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is limited by his own revealed will, um, instituted by himself. And so that means he shouldn't be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men, certainly not by the suggestions of Satan, Uh, That that should be obvious, but uh, Satan did tempt Jesus himself to to worship him. He is is prone to uh, distort, to turn man, to idolatry, and not under any visible representation. This being prohibited by the second commandment to not make images, to worship God by them, uh, to bow down to them or worship them. Some people would like to make a distinction between uh, the, the worship, which is due to God alone, and acts of reverence, you know, which maybe could be ascribed to images, but uh, the second commandment plainly forbids both. You should not worship or bow down. Both the external signs of reverence as well as uh, that worship uh, is prohibited toward images, even actions which might be appropriate in a civil manner towards people, living people, in a respectful manner. You know, you could bow your head to someone, uh, should not be uh, ascribed to uh, images, particularly in religious worship. And so, uh, God should not be worshipped under any visible representation, uh, nor any other way that's not prescribed in Holy Scripture. That's one thing about images, is that they're devising of of man. Uh, And so, we shouldn't worship God in ways that we have devised. Uh, instead, we should worship him the way he has told us to. Uh, in Leviticus 10, 1-3, uh, through 3, Nadab and Abihu were struck down for worshiping God with strange fire, which he had not commanded them. You know, the the uh, What is pointed out in that passage is the fact that they had offered to God something that he had not commanded them to offer to him. Uh, not simply that it had been prohibited. Colossians 2 as well warns of of will worship or worship devised by man uh, that might have the appearance of religiosity but uh, is not of of value before God. And so we should worship God in the way he is appointed in his word. Article 2 describes who we ought to worship. Religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature, and since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other, but of Christ alone. Now this should be plain, as Jesus told Satan, that God uh, alone... uh, you should worship God only, uh, quoting the Old Testament. Uh, he only is the one to be worshipped. And there is only one God, and there's only one mediator between God and men. So 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. God does not share his glory with another. He is a jealous God. He has commanded us to have no other gods before him uh, and to worship him alone. And it is the triune God. In fact, that's one reason, one support for the doctrine of the Trinity is that the things uh, deserve, that befit God are ascribed to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, that, as we say in the Creed, that we... that the Spirit is to be worshipped with the Father and the Son, that these uh, these three persons are God, equal in power and glory, uh, deserving of our worship. Uh, As John 5 says, that the Son is to be honored as the Father is to be honored. This worship must not be given to angels or saints or to any other creature, which is the fault of sinful man that he worships the creature rather than the Creator. And man's sin has made it necessary to come to God by a mediator. Uh, That we have sinned, that uh, the only way of approach to God is by means of one who comes between, to mediate between God and men. And that is Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, who has a fully sufficient sacrifice once offered for sinful man to make them uh, perfect and holy, cleansed in the sight of God, that we might uh, approach God by this new and living way uh, opened by the Lord Jesus. And so we must worship God in the mediation of Christ and him alone. The articles 3 through 4 speak of prayer. Um, I'll go ahead and read both 3 and 4 since they're Uh, on the same topic here. Prayer with thanksgiving being one special part of religious worship is by God required of all men. And that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son by the help of his Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and, if vocal, in a known tongue. Prayer is to be made for things lawful, and for all sorts of men living, or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. A prayer with thanksgiving is part of religious worship. Um, we are told many places to call upon the Lord, to pray to the Lord with supplication, with thanksgiving, as in Philippians 4, 6, for example. Um, It is one way that we reverence God, that we give God his due, that we uh, show our dependence upon God and trust in him. And so he would have us pray to him. Uh, Psalm 50 speaks of this, which might be familiar as a call to worship since we've used this uh, as that before. (coughs) But in Psalm 50 12 through 15 he speaks of what what he especially uh, desires from his people in their worship he says if i were hungry i would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine do i eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats offer to god a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble i will deliver you and you shall glorify me Certainly the sacrifices of of animals was appointed for the Old Covenant people um, and was appropriate for a time, Uh, but the thing that he particularly desired after, uh, which continues in the New Testament, is the sacrifice of thanksgiving, of calling upon God in trouble, so that prayer of supplication, of seeking his help and deliverance, as well as thanksgiving, glorifying God as he delivers us. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Uh, and so this is uh, one what, what God is looks for, what he calls us to offer him as our worship. Now, God requires it of all men. Uh, we might see it there. We might see it in the exhortations of all the psalms of, you know, to, to praise God, all the nations, all the earth. Uh, all people are called to, to pray to God this is something required of all men. This was an error at the time which still persists at times where uh, people would urge people not to pray to God until they were sure they were regenerate. You know that that there was a kind of a uh, a hesitation there to call people to pray to God because uh, God wouldn't hear them unless they were regenerate. But uh, this is dealt with already somewhat in the chapter on good works that uh, that which is a duty uh, certainly, those who are unregenerate cannot please God, but they are more culpable for uh, not doing what they ought to do. And we ought to call people to do that duty and uh, even to pray to God with true faith that they would be converted, that uh, they would call upon God to, to give them the Holy Spirit, to, uh, to save them, uh, to, uh, to praise Him for the good things that He has given them. This is a duty that God requires of all men that all people ought to uh, pray to the Lord. And so we should exhort all people to call upon him. Isaiah 55, for example, speaks of this call to all people. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And so even to sinners, we should tell them to to call upon the Lord, uh, to seek him, uh, to, to pray to him. Certainly, we shouldn't encourage people to pray to him hypocritically, but we should encourage people to pray to God sincerely. Um, Zechariah eight as well, the peoples will call out to one another, "Come, let us seek the Lord. Uh, let's us, let us go and call upon Him. But how should we pray in an acceptable manner? Certainly, all those who pray should pray in a way that is acceptable to God. Uh, that is, in the name of His Son. First uh, Peter speaks of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. Uh, Again, he is that mediator, that way. And so we pray in the name of Christ, not simply by, although it's good to, but not simply by saying the name of Christ, uh, but by offering it in reliance upon the mediation of Christ, by the help of his Spirit, whom he has given uh, to us to uh, work within us, to uh, help us in our prayers, as Romans 8 speaks of that work. According to his will, as in 1 John 5, we should pray for things lawful, Uh, directed by his word. All of God's word is of help to direct us in our prayers, Uh, especially we might see the Psalms, uh, especially the Lord's Prayer, as a guide to to go to God and to call upon his promises that he might fulfill them. We should pray, and here I won't go through all the biblical texts to support this, but much of this is probably uh, self-evident, that we should pray with understanding, that we should pray with reverence should pray with humility, a fervency. Elijah prayed a fervent prayer, as John, uh, James 5 says, as an example. Pray with faith. Uh, pray with love. Love for one another, even as we go to God, forgiving them. Pray with perseverance, as that parable of the persistent widow who seeks uh, justice from the unrighteous judge, who will still get her way just from her persistence. How much more should we persevere in prayer To a good God. And also, if we pray vocally, in a known tongue. Uh, This was probably particularly directed against worship in Latin, a language especially in England that uh, the common people did not know. Uh, It would apply equally, though, to uh, glossolia or the speaking in tongues that's practiced in charismatic churches today. Um, That's not what Paul is referring to, I believe, in the, in 1 Corinthians 14, when he speaks of speaking in tongues, that was, I believe, miraculous speaking in other known, you know, not known to them, but foreign languages. Uh, but in any case, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 14 is that in the worship of God, that we should do so with the mind for the edification of one another and pray in a language in which people understand, so that even if there was someone exercising, exercising the gift of tongues, to only do so when there was someone to interpret. Uh, so that people could understand. Uh, And so that should be our guide today as well, that when we pray uh, vocally or or with others, uh, to pray in a language that they understand. Uh, Even so that if an outsider or unbeliever were to come in, that he might uh, hear what is being said and be convicted and fall on his face and say, God is here, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. But also so that... The congregation can say amen to what is being prayed, that they can do so intelligently and know uh, what they are saying their amen to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. Prayer is to be made for things lawful, for all sorts of men who are living or shall live. We find that examples as well as by precept. Paul says make prayers supplication for, for all men, for all kinds of men, even for kings and those in high positions but not for the dead. Uh, David prayed earnestly for his child while his child was sick, but not once his child died. Uh, He said, you will not come to me, I will go to him. Um, The the destiny of the dead is is fixed once they die. Prayer for the dead sprung from a belief in some type of purgatory, which is not taught in Scripture. Um, So we should not pray for the dead. And this is, I think this phrase is mostly here because they have to do something with the text that speaks of, I do not say that you should pray for the one who has sinned the sin unto death, as uh, that's what John says in 1 John five sixteen. So yes, if it's known, if it can be known, um, who has sinned the sin unto death, then we should not pray for that person. But uh, that is, uh, I would say, rather difficult to know, uh, but it would be a biblical Uh, exception. But we should pray that those who sin would be restored. Uh, That's uh, what John goes on to say as well. There's a sin that doesn't lead unto death. Um, Prayer can include praise, thanksgiving, confession of sin, confession of faith, renewal of commitment, petition. You know, prayer usually is a word more narrowly speaking, refers to supplication, asking for things, but prayer can also have this general sense of speaking to God. Uh, and as the examples of prayer shows uh, throughout the Psalms and other places, we, can, uh, we, we pour out our hearts unto God. We pour out our desires unto Him and commit them to the Lord. Um, before I go on, I know we've covered a lot already. Are there any questions on Uh, Anything so far. All right, so let's go on to Article 5. Other parts of the worship of God. The reading of the Scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscious hearing of the Word in obedience unto God with understanding, faith, and reverence. singing of psalms with grace in the heart, as also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments instituted by Christ, are all parts of the ordinary religious worship of God, beside religious oaths, vows, solemn fastings, and thanksgivings, upon solemn special occasions, which are, in their several times and seasons, to be used in a holy and religious manner. So, other Parts of the worship of God uh, would include the, the word, and there's both the reading of the word, the reading of scriptures is an element of worship in its own right. Uh, in Deuteronomy 31, they were to read uh, the whole law at the Feast of Booths. Uh, we find the reading of scripture in Nehemiah chapter 8, Uh, We find also that this became the model for the weekly synagogue service as well, so that in Acts uh, 13, verse 15, there's several places where it refers to how Moses is read, or Moses and the prophets. The Old Testament had been read in the synagogues from week to week, um, and this was carried on by the church as well. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 13, to devote himself, among other things, to the public reading of Scripture. Revelation uh, 1 verse 3 speaks of the one who reads this book and those who hear it, that it was designed, delivered to the churches, to be read aloud to the churches uh, as Scripture on par with the Old Testament. Not only the reading of Scriptures, though, but also the sound preaching of Scripture, Uh, Even in Nehemiah, we see that not only did they read it, uh, but they also gave the sense of Scripture uh, so that they would understand it. Timothy is called to preach the word in season and out of season. Uh, The word of exhortation or word of encouragement uh, followed the reading of Scripture and the worship of the synagogue, and the same word or phrase is used in Hebrews to refer to the whole book of Hebrews as a a sermon uh, to the Christian church when they gathered in Acts 20, verse 7, uh, not only to break bread, but also to hear the preaching of Paul. And so as part, not only in corporate worship on the Lord's day, there's other occasions for preaching too, but that is part of the worship of God's people. Um, there's also the, not only the preaching, but the, the hearing of the word in obedience to God and understanding faith and reverence. The whole congregation's involved here. It's not just the pastor is worshiping God in these ways, but the whole congregation is worshiping God by giving attention to his word, by revering God, by attending to his word, and listening to it with faith and reverence and understanding. There's also the singing of psalms with grace in the heart. There's many exhortations to sing the praises of God throughout Scripture and the psalms, um, To sing psalms and praises to God, particularly in the assembly, in the congregation, like Psalm 149 says, and in the New Testament as well. We're told uh, not only to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, but also singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs uh, with grace in the heart, making melody unto God, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. And so this is something we are told to do, uh, the whole congregation, uh, to be singing to God, uh, to sing his praise. To do so also not only with the words, but also with grace in the heart, uh, with the heart. Now, prayer isn't mentioned in this article because it's already been mentioned, but obviously prayer is another element to the regular worship of God. And then also the due administration and worthy receivings of the sacraments instituted by Christ. Again, there's both uh, the, the administering of them and the receiving of them. The whole congregation being involved in this worship. This is a way in which we worship God as we um, gratefully receive his promises and also engage ourselves or further engage ourselves, devote ourselves unto the Lord, offering ourselves as living sacrifices to him. There's also occasional uh, elements of worship, worship that we might not do from week to week, but from time to time on occasion uh, will come up. There are religious oaths and vows, uh, which will come to, I guess, a whole chapter, so we're not going to give as much attention to it here, but that is part of the worship of God, which we swear by his name or we vow to him himself. And then also special days of fasting or thanksgiving. Uh, there are special days of fasting and prayer. Can you think of any biblical examples of days, special days of fasting and prayer? Esther, Esther right, right, when she asked for them to, to, to fast before she approached the king at a particular time, seeking God's uh, favor on that effort. Sure, Jesus himself uh, fasted for a particular time there in the wilderness uh, during a time of temptation. Yeah, yeah, Moses. We might also think of Nineveh uh, in, in repentance, where they had a day of, of fasting and prayer and called upon the Lord. Sure, yes, when David was praying and fasting for his child. So, And that was actually a good variety of of because there can be both personal fasting on occasion, uh, there can be uh, even for a, a, a church or for a nation, uh, that there can be particular days called for fasting and prayer. Uh, they, and it can be, as in Joel chapter 1 or 2, consecrate a solemn fast in, in, Dan- in anticipation of judgments that are deserved or impending or experienced uh, in, in repentance, to come to God with repentance and fasting. Or when the church... Uh, fasted and prayed while they were um, uh, ch- uh, choosing Paul and Barnabas to send them out as missionaries uh, as a particular time of of seeking God's favor and direction. Uh, but they are are kind of determined by God's providence and the occasion which one is responding to. There's also days of thanksgiving and the book of Esther gives us an example of that as well. When they are delivered from their enemies that they uh, institute the Feast of Purim, to give thanks, to rejoice, to give gifts to one another, uh, to give thanks to God for his deliverance. Or Psalm 107 speaks of many different occasions of people who are delivered from God and what ought they do, having been delivered, they should give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Uh, so that we should give thanks to his deliverances. Uh, in the days of the Westminster Assembly, one uh, A particular example might have been, well, actually, during the English Civil War, there were a lot of days of fasting or prayer or thanksgiving as uh, there was a lot of dramatic events happening. But also there was the Guy Fawkes Day, where they remembered the deliverance of uh, England from a popish plot to to take over England. Uh, But as our own directory of worship says, When great and notable calamities come upon or threaten the church, community, or nation, When judgment is deserved because of sin, when people seek some special blessing from the Lord, or when a pastor is to be ordained or installed, it is fitting that the people of God engage in times of solemn prayer and fasting. And then also, when God's blessings on the church, community, or nation are particularly evident, it is fitting that the people of God engage in special times of thanksgiving. So these are uh, special occasions of worship, which should be used in a holy and religious manner, uh, probably targeted at the abuse of particular holidays, which could use, be used for rioting and drunkenness. No, that's not the way to use these special days. It's to be used in a holy and religious manner. Um, last article here that I intend to cover today is that of article six on uh, secret family and public worship. Neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now under the gospel either tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed or toward which it is directed. But God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and truth, as in private families daily and in secret, each one by himself, so more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected or forsaken. When God, by His Word or Providence, calleth thereunto, uh, where do we learn that we should worship God in secret? Probably a lot of places, but can you think of a real obvious place where we're told to worship God in secret? Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, said to "Pray in the philosophy. Right, right. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says. Uh, in the context of, you know, not worshiping God just from the praise of man but to go into your closet, go into your room by yourself and and pray to God who sees in secret uh, that that uh, is something that all Christ's disciples ought to do, is to worship God in secret. It doesn't mean that we should only worship God in secret, but we should worship God in secret. Um, this reminds us, among other things, that worship is done for God and not for the praise of man. Uh, and is ought to be part of our uh, daily piety before him, uh, to worship God in secret. We even saw the example of Isaac going out in the field to meditate. Uh, we, Jesus himself set an example, where he would go out in desolate place to pray by himself or out into the hills. Um, Peter himself, when when he was at uh, in, in Jop, Joppa, he went onto the roof of the house to pray at a certain hour. Uh, That was the occasion for that vision of the unclean animals, but that was part of his uh, regular practice, to go uh, and worship God in secret, both to meditate upon God's Word, perhaps to read God's Word, uh, and also to pray to God. Daniel is another good example, right? That even though he was forbidden by the law, that he still did secret worship uh, before God, that it would have been wrong for him to forsake it for a month, uh, that he ought to worship God in secret. There's also family worship, um, what's called private worship, not secret worship, but not the public worship of God, but within families and households, uh, from the text that describe uh, to speak of these things in your household from day to day, throughout the day, uh, to be teaching your children, to be teaching your wife, to to be uh, uh, causing the the word to to dwell in your household, and what does Colossians say is a way for the word of God to dwell in you richly. It's Speaking of particularly the congregation, but the same means are used uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs uh, to God. Uh, That family is part of uh, being a Christian family. Uh, One part it's not the, it's not exhaustive, it's not the only way children are discipled, but Uh, it would be very deficient discipleship to not worship God. Uh, That is part of who we are as Christians. Families ought to call upon the Lord together. As Cornelius' household did, he feared God with all his household. Uh, He uh, joined them all with him in the worship and reverence of God. But then also there is the public worship of God, the worship of the congregation, biblical piety is not content to remain private but seeks expression in the public worship of God Uh, consider these Psalms Psalm 22 I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you Psalm 35 I will thank you in the great congregation in the mighty throng I will praise you Psalm 68 bless God in the great congregation The Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. Psalm 107. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Psalm 111. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Or Psalm 149. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Uh, This is uh, to be the, the desire of Christians. Uh, Also, God tells you, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together, uh, as is the custom of some. Uh, Hebrews 10 gives that exhortation. The practice of uh, weekly worship, a holy convocation, an assembly set apart unto God, uh, originated in the Old Testament. Leviticus 23.3 appointed that in your dwelling places, not just the annual feasts in Jerusalem. And uh, this was to be continued in the New Testament where they gather on the Lord's Day uh, together for uh, the Lord's Supper, for preaching, for worship. Uh, and so there is the worship of God, which should not be carelessly for, uh, for neglected or willfully neglected. Um, when he calls, because it is God who calls us to worship him in the assembly by his word, like on the Sabbath day or by his providence, as in special days of fasting or thanksgiving. Uh, Any, well, probably out of time because I've already gone over, because I started a little late too. Um, We're going to pick up on this chapter next week because we haven't touched on the Sabbath day yet, which really this last article merges well really with the the doctrine of the Sabbath day and that weekly day of worship. Uh, But let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word, for directing us how we might worship you in an acceptable manner with reverence and awe. We pray that you would direct us and equip us for your worship this day, uh, that you would have glory uh, among your people through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.